who is a poly coach living in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, y'all. <laughs> Thanks for really legitimizing it. You're welcome. And um, Rachel and I have a really amazing friendship, which I am super grateful for. Me too. Um, we answered this question a lot this weekend, but I think it's a great story. It is a great story, and I uh, was excited to see so many people who were kind of fascinated by the evolution of it. Absolutely, and who I think, like, had genuine, I mean, at a couple's retreat, like, it's a little bit weird to be there with a non-romantic partner, but the people who own and run the Glowing Goddess Getaway are very accepting. Inclusivity Mm -hmm. is one of their five high standards. Yes. And um, so it was they were totally supportive of me bringing a friend and celebrating other kinds of couplehood. And I thought it was great to be a single queer femme with a long-term friend of 17 years. Yeah. Because we still get to work to keep our magical friendship going. We do. And I still think that I learned a lot from being in that environment with you. And I think we had some very interesting conversations with more like traditional couples like, it was a lot of heterosexual couples this weekend, too. Although there were some other uh, women-loving women couples there. Um, and there were some... There are several couples there where at least one, maybe both partners, are queer, too. But yes. the pairing, based on what the outside world sees... Yes, true. ...sees a heterosexual, sort of, like, normative, probably compulsory non-monogamy, or compulsory monogamy situation right right yeah. yeah people had some very interesting questions about polyamory in addition to asking how we knew each other yeah it's true we had a lot of great combos mm-hmm. which are sparking many of the topics on the podcast um yeah. but first and foremost let's start with how we met yes because we answered that question a lot this weekend i think yeah. you're getting great at telling the story mm-hmm. <laughs> um so in the deep dark early days of the internet before myspace before friendster before Life Journal, yeah, we had Diaryland. Diaryland. Uh, it was a blogging platform. Yeah. So, like, instead of having like, because you couldn't really post pictures on the internet in the same way, you had to kind of have a whole website. It was like right. a lot of hosting, but you could tell a lot in a story. And mm-hmm. so, you and I both had blogs. Right, and there was still a level of faux anonymity to the internet of those days, where you thought like. You could blog in real serious detail about real people and just assume that they weren't going to find out. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> I mean, also, during that diary land time, I learned a lot about consent on the internet. Yeah, me too. Because I screwed up. Me too. <laughs> people were like, why'd you write about that? And I'm like, I write about everything. Yeah, exactly. That's how we met. I thought you understood. Yeah, exactly. That's how we met. Um, I started a second Diaryland diary that was anonymous. So there was one where it was called Bevan. It was very straightforward. Um, but there was another one that was a totally different one. I will not say the name. Yeah. And it was a secret one about the sex I was having, uh, mostly with the people who, like, I would meet someone, they would read my blog, they would be charmed by me. Of course. And we would go on some dates, and I was really sewing some oats because I was a late bloomer. I was a new queer femme. I was newly into, like, accepting my fat body. I was performing with a drag king troupe, yes. and you were a queer femme. Yes. In Orlando, Florida. Right, yeah. And in my undergrad, um, living with members of a drag king troupe and performing with them as a backup dancer, um, exploring what it meant to be poly, sort of exploring non-monogamous relationship models and figuring out the poly language. And a lot of what I learned on Diaryland from other people on Diaryland informed my early understanding of polyamory and... 
triggered a lifelong commitment to that relationship style for me. Um, and then I moved to Atlanta because I started dating somebody else I met on Diaryland and then got a job in Atlanta and moved. And then you and I were like still corresponding and like very close long distance friends until well after I moved to Atlanta and then you came down with your troupe for a performance. Yeah, it was, uh, I was living in Philly when we met yeah. and then I had then moved to, uh, Jersey City. Like, it's weird because you meet someone on the internet who just like seems like you, like this is like, you know how you can tell, like yeah. you're, you're my person, you're a person that reflects identities that I have, mm-hmm. you're a person I'm real interested in connecting to and like. Those diaries were really great because I felt like they really let us just, like, pour our hearts out to strangers on the internet. It was a level of, like, public vulnerability without risk that wasn't entirely unique to that time period. Yes, exactly. I don't think you could do the same thing these days. No. Um, And you wouldn't get the same community just because there's just so much on the internet now. But also, like... I think it's really amazing, like, online friendships that become real-life friendships. Mm Because, like, you and I, once we visited that first time, it was like, duh, I've known you forever, right? Like, it just felt like that. It did. And then it has forever since. Like, Well, and our lives had become pretty intertwined there for a while. Oh, my God. I mean, once our lives became intertwined like that, like, I mean, it happened pretty fast, actually, because we, the first time I saw you was right after I started dating my Mm -hmm. first fiancé. Because, mind you, I've been engaged twice now. Um, I, uh, my first fiance, uh, and I went down before we were engaged. We just barely started dating. Um, when my drag king troupe performed and then we both went down the next year because we were engaged and the only plus size bridal store that you could try on dresses in the U S at the time was in Atlanta. So this is like 2008. This is a while ago, 2007. Um, still not that long ago. Like one in the country, (laughs) one in the country. There's like. More than one in the country now, but, like, there's not that many. And that one in Atlanta's not open anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I went wedding dress shopping with Rachel and uh, the person that would end up having an affair with my fiancé for eight months. Um, that was, like, <laughs> don't go wedding dress shopping with someone. If you are hot for their person, don't go wedding dress shopping. Just say no. No, I'm busy. Can't do it. Sorry. Yeah. Have fun by yourselves. Yeah. Like, that was a dumb and very cruel thing to do. Um, but you know, what are you going to do? It's, right. it, it happened. It's over. It's, it's, that is 11 years old. There's dust on it. It's, it's, it's healed. It's fine. But, but we Rachel remained friends, <laughs> remained friends. And then also got even stickier because in my rebound from yeah. that engagement, once that all blew up and he like left me and, uh, the way we broke up that time was cause he had changed, uh, his top 10 on MySpace or whatever. <laughs> and I wasn't on there. And someone emailed me and was like, uh, did you know that you're not on his top 10 or what a top whatever? And I was like, no. And I sent him an email. And I just absolutely regret when he wrote back and said, oh, I thought we were broken up. I regret just not going to his office and giving him a piece of my mind. I'll tell you that. So if you're going through a breakup out there and you, like, want to go give someone a piece of your mind, just do it. Like, I know, like, my love and light self now would never do something like that because, like, I'm just too into preserving my peace than giving away my sanity in that way. But genuine regret of my life is not yelling at him in his office. Like, letting him break up with me over email? Wow. <laughs> I remember breaking up with somebody with such ferocious energy that the next time I saw him, he complimented my command of the English language. I love that. Yeah. That's a good breakup. Yeah. Yeah. 
He's like, it didn't seem like I could tell you this at the time, but I was really impressed with how ferocious you are just through the written word. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You are a very great writer. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, there's a reason why you do it as part of your work now. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, yeah, you're a great writer. Yeah. I'm excited for uh, many of your books. Words mean things. They do mean things. Mm-hmm. They can really spark a whole mood. It gets more complicated, right? So yeah. we, I go through my breakup. Um, then my ex starts dating for real the person he'd been having an affair with, which was very devastating for me. Right. But then immediately afterwards, her ex. So mind you, oh, right. the person That's, that yes. she cheated with, um, with my ex-fiance, um, the person she cheated on with my ex-fiance, that person. My other roommate. Your other roommate. Um, cause mind you, Rachel had been their roommate. Um, <laughs> so Rachel... Uh, and I, like, I just knew this person from having been there. Like we were all cool. We were all friends. Yeah. And then that person just started texting me mm-hmm. and like that roll up. It was like the first person who rolled up on me after that big breakup. It was a big shock. I was very broken. And then this person was giving me, who was really hot by the way. I oh, never yeah. would have That's gone true. down this path if she wasn't hot as fuck. Like, she was. Although the Von Dutch hats were really just a symptom of their time period. Oh, yeah. It very much, this person was a symptom of their time period. But in the meantime, during all the chaos from uh, dating that person, because it was a very weird thing that happened where they were, like, texting me one night, and the very next day, their very best friend's twin sister uh, died suddenly, uh, and she lived, like, 20 minutes from my apartment. And, like, mind you, this is from Atlanta to Jersey City. So it's quite a distance to have lesbian trauma, and yet suddenly this person goes from flirting with me to, oh my god, I'm in your town. Uh, and so then we went on a date. So my rebound, my rebound with my fiancé was like basically revenge sex. Yeah. Which was pretty great. Um, that was the right time in your life to do that. Yeah, it was absolutely the right yeah. time to make that messy choice. Yeah. But it was an enjoyable choice until it wasn't. And like right. Rachel and I got involved in like this weird... Uh, drama where you were flirting with this person, but they weren't being honest that they were still maintaining a relationship with me, maintaining a relationship with other people that they were saying they were monogamous with, so they were cheating on other people with us, Yeah, and getting involved in your relationship and your polyamory, Yeah, and just being messy, messy, messy. Right. But what's nice about you and I having been friends for so long is that we can really like look back together on that period of our life and be like, no, that was the right time for us to... like. Yeah. Do that shenanigan. I would not make those choices today. No. But that was a great story. <laughs> yeah. And it was a really dramatic but Have end. you read the manifesto lately? Mm-mm. Oh, my God. I still have it in my Gmail. Oh, Sunday. Thank God for unlimited Gmail storage. Oh, my God. It's true. Yeah. Um, I'm not ready to read it, but I w- I'll read it someday. That when was, was like... the last time you logged into your live journal? Oh, my God. Oh, not not super long ago, but right? like oh, a minute ago. I still update my list of lovers on my live journal. Oh my god, I love that. I had yes. also a list of lovers on my live journal that I have not kept up with, but maybe I ought to. Yeah. Yeah, rattle those uh, cages in there. Well, I've had now, some additions lately. So. Now that, I mean, you are having the best sex of your life. Yes. You are 39 years old almost this yeah. week. Turn uh-huh. 39. I do turn 39 on Wednesday. Yeah, happy birthday, my Taurus babe. I love you so much. Thank you. Um, so you're turning 39, having the best sex of your life. Yeah. Because I'll tell you, at the end of multiple of my relationships, uh-huh. I had the fear that I would never have great sex again, and that those days for me were over. That has literally never been the case. Never. Sex is always better, because I'm always better. Yeah. I'm always bringing a better 
version of myself, a more embodied version of myself, a version of myself that understands myself a little more, someone who's done some emotional work, who's gotten some freedom on some mountaintops, and brings that into every single connection I have with any person, be it sexual mm-hmm. or not. Right. So the sex, I assure you, is always better if you're always better. Right. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are also having abundant polysex. I am, yeah. It's yeah. quite a, a polycule at the moment. Yeah. Yes. Which is great. It's been fantastic. It's very familial, which um, as a, a queer person who came out really young um, and, and in some ways sacrificed a lot of like my family development security for that, mm-hmm. um, I think I kind of divorced myself from the concept of family as like a building block for adulthood mm. in a way, although I do um, at this point have very positive relationships with my family members. It just didn't you know, evolve over time in quite the way that it does on sitcoms and uh, in my expectations of other people's homes. So um, I think being a queer person and having been homeless sometimes as a teen because of that, like having a poly family now is so unexpected for me and so precious to me too. Um, like the family dinners that we have where it's like the five core polycule members. And when Um, you say the word polycule. Yes. You are describing relationships between you, people you have romantic relationships with. Right. The people they also have romantic relationships with. And also one friend who's just platonic but long term with you. Right. Yeah. Yes. And like, and there, so it's like everybody and their partners. So it's like. Polycule meaning like once you look at those relationships, it does look like a molecule. It does look like a molecule, yeah. Um, so everybody has their little circle um, of existence and their connection to other people's circle of existence. And um, for our polycule, um, there's five core members, um, and we have a shared Instagram account, which is poly, P-O-L-Y, pockets, ATL, mm-hmm. um, because one of our members had a friend who, when she was first hearing about our polycule, just like sang the theme song from that like '90s kids toy, Polly Pockets. Uh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and so I feel like that, I visited right after someone was singing that song. Yes, uh huh. Uh-huh. And so that toy was, of course, Polly, like the name P O L L Y, but mm-hmm. we spell it like polyamory. Mm-hmm. So we're the Polly Pockets ATL. Um, Polly Pockets. Polly Pockets. Yeah. It's like the Hot Pocket song. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's, it's all amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's Frankie, Candy, me, Rachel, um, Emily, and Megali, and Amy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the six main members. Right. I think of it as five because it's five plus me. Oh, fair enough. But yeah. it's six total. Yeah. And, but also the polycule is like 15 people big, which we can get more into, oh, that's true, into the polyamory. I don't have all of those people's permissions necessarily to share, that's but true. Um, almost everyone in that list um, of our like core group has one other partner at least. So Because uh-huh. life can be as easy and good as all that. Yeah, it's been really interesting to just be very direct about what I want and... That has also involved telling people very directly that they are not what I want. <laughs> <laughs> How do you do that? Yeah. So subtly at first, uh-huh. you know, and then if subtle doesn't work, very explicitly. 
Ah. Yes. As, and the terminology that I used this most recent time that I had to have that conversation with somebody was just like, the kind of energy that I have experienced from you is not the kind of energy that I'm looking for in a partner. And so I think it would be best for us if we do not go on any more dates. That's so straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. How did you deliver this information? Um, via text message because we had only gone on one date. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Text message is fine for them. Right. Yeah. I feel like... Um, she was blowing me up about a second date and I was like, oh yeah, no, that's that sounds right. Yeah. That's not even breaking things, like, off of someone that's just declining a second date. Right. And that's yeah. good to do that, like, up front. Like, don't go on the second date if you know that you're not... If you already know, do not waste your time. Do not waste someone else's time. Right. And also, don't make someone meet you out uh, to break up with them unless, yeah. like, you have been with them for six years and you're going to couples counseling. Like, other than that, like, just do it in the kindest way you can, the most connected way, but without wasting someone's time. So, like... What's the worst way you've been broken up with? Me? Yeah. Um, a picture of the Gossip Girl set saying, Gossip Girl was filming near my work. Thought of you. This is like early in picture messages. Yeah. Uh, also, I don't think we should see each other anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I, or I think we should be just friends. Anyway, whatever. I wish that person well. Yeah. That was a shitty way to be broken up with. Also, via email from my ex-partner of like, you know, my ex-fiance. That, oh, yeah. That one. That oh, one's yeah. the worst breakup. Yeah. Like, that was just, like, on the whole, worse. I would say, like, my current breakup is, like, a medium. Yeah. Um, I would say, like, there are some things that would have changed. Like, if I were her, I would have, like, left me with Kleenex stocked in the house knowing she was going to break up with me. Like, a, a new dog. Because uh, new dog. my dog had died the year before, and she just let me be free of a dog and broke up with me. Like, you know. What would you really have done if, in the midst of getting broken up with, somebody handed you a puppy? Uh, I would devote myself to that dog and heal. Oh, really? Yes. I think I'd be like, <laughs> fuck you and your little dog, too. This Absolutely. doesn't fix anything. You cannot buy me off with another life, like, as a stand-in for your love. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm a Capricorn, though. Maybe that's just something I... Like, I love pets, too, and, like, so me not having a dog feels sad and hard and, like... Yeah, you know. I would never want somebody to pick out a pet for me, though. I think that maybe that's oh. my hitch. I definitely don't think she should have picked it out. I think she should have told me I'm going to get you a dog. Like and a gift certificate for a dog? Yes, exactly. Like, <laughs> I know it's going to cost me money to break up with you because I've been supporting you for these many years. You left your law career in reliance on me. Like, I, we were planning a wedding to your detriment. Like, your mom is out $5,000 from that deposit, right? Like, that kind of dog, right? Like, I know I owe it to you to get, get you this dog, so you're going to get this dog. Right? Like, that's how I just wanted it to go. But, you know, that's not how it went. Can you ask for a dog now? Um, maybe. Maybe I will. I don't know. I, I feel like she's not so open. <laughs> I mean, clear communication is the only way to get what you want, right? It's true. Okay. That's the theme we're going for here, right? Overall. What's the worst going to happen? She can say no, and then you're right where you are now. You haven't lost anything. And I did say no about her taking my fancy ashtray. I like that thing. There you go. It's beautiful. It's like light blue. We got it at the Rose Bowl flea market. Hey, this is Bevan from the future since this podcast was recorded in May and it's September when I'm releasing it because that's just my lifestyle. Um, hey, everybody. So I'm breaking into this episode uh, to just acknowledge that Rachel was right. Um, 
I went on this long tangent about how Dara and I were going to be friends. And it turns out we weren't friends. <laughs> we did not become friends. She removed uh, shortly after me recording this podcast and talking about being friends and having her come visit said ashtray. She decided to withdraw her friendship. So now we're not friends anymore. So it's moot point. Uh, Rachel was right because she tried to convince me that um, we probably weren't going to be friends. And she was always right. And I just want to like give big ups to her and our lengthy friendship and how smart she is about that stuff. Uh, and I also just want to do a quick commercial break, which is the best way to financially support this podcast moving forward is to support my Patreon page. Patreon is the love child of crowdfunding and subscription services. You can join at lots of different tiers for two bucks. You can be an anti-diet crusader and just help me uh, with my marketing budget. Uh, you can, for five bucks, get access to a special podcast of mini episodes that's just about tools that I use for self-love and self-care. Um, and they're all like little like four-minute bite-sized nuggets if you just need like an amp up in your day. Um, so that is on there. I also um, have a weekly aerobics class. So you can join me live for aerobics. Um, I love teaching aerobics. I love helping people move their bodies. Any level uh, is truly welcome. The minimum participation in my classes is just to show up and cheer along. And you can do that. Um, and so that's for 25 bucks a month. Um, I also have a tea of the month club if you want to join me and have some Reiki healing via tea. And that's just like to help you bring balance and stress reduction and help reduce depression. So I love creating for my Patreon. I really feel like it's where people who feel like they have more to give in the world come for self-care. And uh, so you can join that at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash F-K-D-P, which stands for Fat Kid Dance Party is the name of my aerobics class. So I super appreciate you tuning into this episode and I super appreciate your support of the podcast and sharing this and all of the things. And we're going to have a quick little music break and then we're going to hop back into my conversation with Rachel. Love you. There's only two types of people in the world.
If you were dancing during that Britney Spears break, it's Rachel's favorite artist, so I couldn't resist. Uh, and now back to my conversation with Rachel. Okay, so you are also going through a gay divorce. Yeah, but I'm not allowed to talk about it. You can't talk about your gay divorce? No, it's in our separation agreement. Oh. Can you acknowledge that you're getting gay divorced? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it sucks that we're going through breakups at the same time. It really does, but I, I think it's... Um, one of the ways that really, like, supported our solidarity this weekend at a couple's retreat. That's true, actually. Yeah. It was nice. I actually never once felt like an outsider not being in a romantic couple. Me either. But I was really glad I had a bestie there. Right. Like, someone I like and want to maintain a relationship right. with. Yeah. So. I was very curious about the woman who was just there with her dog. There were a couple of women like that. Yeah. And, um, that was great for them. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a person that we met who identified as both bisexual and asexual. Yes. And overtly expressed desire towards a a person, a man. Yes. Uh, who had curly hair and said, I love that curly hair. Yeah. And then, um. Also talked about wanting to touch it. And wanted to touch that curly hair. Yeah. There was a, yeah. a really specific comment. And that was not the first time that she had remarked upon that curly hair either. Oh. I had heard her made a previous mention of that curly hair to that person. Oh, okay. So, and we knew just from our being on the land and talking to people that. Right. People tell was, us things. Yeah. He was available in a poly relationship. Yeah. And so he, his response to the curly hair comment was, well, I'll take a head massage anytime. Which is a good response. That's a fabulous response. I can't wait to adopt that response to my work in the world as yeah. a person who will get laid again. Right. Um, but that, then the person who had originally given that compliment said they were too asexual for all that and were going to not be able to do that. Yeah, but there was like a panic, butterfly, fluttering, it was excitement It was a bodily response. response. Yeah, it was yeah. a full body response. So then this person decides their response after the bodily response right. to the solicitation of the head massage. Mm-hmm. They then um, went out, because we're like in the desert, in the high desert, outside of Joshua Tree, yeah. up in Pioneer Town. Like, it's beautiful. It looks like we're on another planet. You can yeah. barely see anything that it's has like been Mars. touched by any human creation. So this person goes out, like, walks across a stone wall, uh... Where uh, between a hot tub and a cliff, and then like walks around to go climb out onto some rocks, and does this dance while this song played that they left playing on the boombox. Uh, that was like, I believe in miracles. Where are you from, you sexy thing? Dancing to that song <laughs> out on the rocks, like far away. And the person with the curly hair never even looked. 
No. It was like the most profound mating dance yeah. I had ever seen, especially Very by nice. an asexual bisexual. Yeah. Yeah. It was beautiful. It was very beautiful, and um, I think the creature that was most moved was her dog. Yeah. Who was the one that noticed first and then alerted me to this performance. Mm. I think I noticed also. Yeah. I was very fascinated by what was happening, because I knew the music had been queued up in a way. So carefully selected, Mm -hmm. yes, on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it's it's a jam. Atlanta is my favorite town to go party in. Yeah, let's talk about our mutual friendship with Rhea. Oh my god, yes. Let's definitely talk about that. So, Rachel mm-hmm. introduced me to Rhea Pell, mm-hmm. who was like basically the gay mayor of, of Atlanta. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, everyone knew her. She was super influential. Yeah. She like ran events. She was a community leader. She received mm-hmm. a lot of shit from people for doing it. Yeah. She like ran two restaurants. Yeah. She... Was a DJ. Yeah. Her home was always a safe place for queers. Yeah. She was just, like, an incredible human being. And I met her in her capacity as being, like, one of the hottest butches I've ever seen as a DJ when I was femseeing the first Femme Mafia masquerade. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was not single at the time, but believe me when I say I noticed Rhea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, because I came back to visit um, Rachel so often... And because Rachel started dating as a partner, uh, one of her very close friends. Yeah. Uh, then I got to spend a lot more time with her. Mm-hmm. She's a really incredible person. And then she came to visit you in New York, right? Well, she came to visit New York, and mm-hmm. we were always hanging out. Oh, gotcha. Mm-hmm. That is a very important distinction, because Rhea made it very clear that we were not dating. Oh, really? Even though we went on dates. Yeah. She made it clear a couple of times we were not quote-unquote dating. <laughs> Interesting detail. I mean, I basically just, like, long-haul crushed on Rhea for years. Mm-hmm. Um, got to see her a lot because my bestie, Rachel, uh, was, uh, like, very close with, or, or, like, partners with one of her very close friends. Mm-hmm. So, like... We had a lot of access to her. We hung out a lot. I had this huge crush on her. I had a really hard time articulating desire mm. back then. I still think... I think I have way less uh, of a hard time now, but, like, I think it's still hard for me. Like, I think I'm much better at it. But I think it's mostly just being resilient to rejection, honestly. Oh, yeah. You know my thing about frogs. Yes. Yeah, so, Rachel told me this, like, ten years ago. It's so true. <laughs> if I'm going to get through... If I'm going to have to get nine no's to get to one yes, I want to get through those no's as swiftly as possible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think about it like kissing frogs. Yeah. You know, whatever your uh, royal choice would be, prince, princess. 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 Queen. Queen. King. Empress. Empress, yeah. Yeah. That if only one frog in ten is going to turn into that for you... Mm -hmm. Kiss your way through those other nine frogs as fast as possible. Agreed. Yeah. It's, it's a very good strategy, too, for asking people out on dates. Because I'll tell you that, being rejected for a date is, like, not as catastrophic as I once thought it was. Because I get my value from my inherent value inside and not to do with anybody else's approval or disapproval with me. Right. I just kind of trust, like, when I feel attracted to someone and connected to them and I ask them on a date and they don't want to go on a date with me... 
that's fine. Oh, totally. It has nothing to do with my value. And honestly, sometimes that attraction is like telling me that I need to learn something from that person, whether or not that's via dating. And you never know what their reasons are in the moment. Just because they're not a yes right now doesn't mean they'll never be a yes. That's true. And, and sometimes so, that no is a giant favor when you get to know them. Right. That's true. Yeah. My uh, tendency is just to uh, say, how'd you get so fine? Mm. Um, which generally works to let somebody know that I think they're attractive. And then how they respond to that generally tells me whether or not I can actually ask them out on a date. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love that. My yeah. latest and greatest thing is to assume if I think that someone is flirting with me or is hitting on me, mm-hmm. to assume that that's true. Yeah. Because I am so oblivious that if I even suspect that it's true, it's probably wildly true and has been <laughs> very apparent to anyone who was looking except for me. Because, like, I feel like I still carry and actively work to release all the time a lot of baggage about being a teenage fat girl who thought she was just inherently unlovable and unfuckable mm. and, like, not worthy of that kind of attention. Yeah. So, like, I didn't get the memo of how to understand those cues right. until I was, like, much older. And even then, like, still, to these days, just such a Capricorn and such a person that's, like, busy and, like, sees the benefits of, like, platonic friendships over, like, frivolous sex relationships, even though they're very important. Yeah. Um, and anyway, it was just, like, an interesting thing that you taught me about, like, how to be more resilient to rejection and how to just, like, move through it. Oh, yeah. While I was still doing the work of, like, understanding and unearthing my inherent worthiness so that now, like, even as, um, before Dara and I broke up, I really... Like, because, you know, we were having trouble for a while. Mm-hmm. It occurred to me, I was like, you know what? I've been through worse breakups than this. And I've survived and come out better. So I was, like, a lot less afraid going into it. And it made the transition and my need to suffer in the yeah. situation of the breakup much less present than ever before. Like, I think I've suffered way less in this relationship breakup than any previous relationship breakup, which I feel grateful for. That is really important. Mm-hmm. And at, like, 40 years old, whatever, I'm single again. Who cares? Like, you know, it's not my value. Well, it's like Amy and I were discussing recently that as women who are socialized as women, you grow up being taught not to be the initiator when it comes to sexual or romantic attention because then you're demanding it or, like, you're um, somehow decreasing your worth by asking somebody to consider you in that way. Mm-hmm. And that people should be coming to you if you really are desirable. Um, and like, I feel like Amy and I are the only two women that we know who regularly hit on other women. Mm. Um, and it does kind of give you this different (laughs) kind of resilience to rejection, but also has gotten me a lot of interesting friendships too, with people who are like, nah, girl, you cool as hell. Let me buy you a beer. Like they're not going to be somebody I'm going to go on a date with. But they are somebody that I now have one step more of intimacy with as a result of just being open with them about the fact that I thought they were hot. Mm. That's great. Mm -hmm. And your line is, how did you get so fine? Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. I got a hello beautiful text today. That's nice. I'm going to say, it's very straightforward. It doesn't have to be more complicated. It does not, no. Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah. One of my most unexpected flirtation texts this weekend was, I got you the most perfect birthday present in San Francisco, and I got to find a time to get it to you this week. That's like, fabulous. Perfect. I love this th- story. I love being thought of on a trip. Yeah. I love uh, having someone be thoughtful around meaningful occasions in my life. Right. Right? Those are nice things. This is what... Yeah. Rachel taught me this also about dating, is if you're not getting complimented, getting dressed up, and getting free dinners, then What's it's a waste of time. What's yeah. going on? I just bought you dinner. Thank you. You're welcome. Appreciate that. It's our a good cap to our couple's retreat weekend. Yeah, you look real pretty today. Aww. Yeah, with and without makeup. Thank you. A natural beauty, only enhanced through your plumage. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So, Rhea and I, I was so crushed out on her. Yeah. And um, she was like this bad butch uh, who was like legendary and like um, really could hold a room and had a big personality and um, really just like was someone I was wildly captivated by, which like I think had a lot to do with seeing myself reflected in her. Yeah. And also seeing the ways in which she was different and cool and amazing. She had a lot of personal charisma. So much charisma. Mm-hmm. And she spanned a lot of different communities. She really did. And she had a really good way of, like, connecting with you in a way that felt special and unique to your relationship. Like, I really feel like I got a version of her that was special between the two of us. Right. And, like, it's not to say that her versions with other people weren't also special. I know a lot of people who are actually like that, who are, like, really just, like, into these tender, connective relationships. I think that's a good sustaining skill to have if you are polyamorous. Absolutely. The ability to find those little moments, to have those one-on-one connections, even when you're in a big crowd of people or whatever. Mm Because, like, when we have the whole poly pocket over for brunch, any one of us might bring an additional partner, too, and there might be... 10 or 12 people, you know, eating various breakfast dishes um, over the course of six hours, you got to find time to be like, wait, what's going on with your brother who was in the hospital? And like, I remember you telling me about that last time I saw you, you know, just checking in on your like individual life stuff and like those one-on-one moments. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. And they're so... Important, and I think a lot of times with social media, we don't think through curating and cultivating those connections. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to say, like, getting on the phone with people, right? Even if you can't spend brunch with them, getting on the phone really makes a big difference. I like calling you my drive home, I love our drive home conversations. Yeah, it's great. I love being caught up on your life in Atlanta because <laughs> it's always interesting. Uh-huh. Um, I also am just invested in your bloom and your glow up and mm-hmm. witnessing all forms of your life. So I love hearing about it. Yep. And also you have great advice. So you always have something like to remind me of myself. Yeah. Especially when I'm feeling less than confident. <laughs> Confidence is such a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Like of all the things I stress about, it's never something I stress about. You? Your thing that comes real easy to you. Yeah. It's confidence. Mm-hmm. It's like a thing that most people have to learn. Yeah. That you just somehow had a resilience in childhood that you absolutely needed in order to keep you alive. Yeah. But also, that confidence was already present for that resilience. So it's just like, I. most people are born self... Everyone's born self-loving. Most people are learn self-loving. Yeah. And somehow, you kind of came out... Liking yourself, being confident, and, like, mm-hmm. getting stuff handled. Yeah. And kind of recognizing when other people were having, like, messy BS around you. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, even, like, coming out as queer when I was 13 was probably the most, like, rock-my-world kind of experience um, before the, you know, adulthood. And that was definitely something that I emerged from feeling very self-reliant because, you know, I had my home taken away from me, and so it was learning how to make connections with people and reach out to people that could help me and let them know what I needed and um, still get myself to school and still get the grades that I needed to get in order to move on with my life and <laughs> get out of there. So, yeah. I But I don't know. Maybe even that is, like, not the thing that gave me confidence but still a reflection of just, like, the confidence that I came in with. It is a reflection of that confidence. Yeah. I feel like... So, you have often been a reflection of, like, so what to me. Like, you really have a great so what attitude about Mm -hmm. people who cast stones and complain. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a very uh, strong connection to I don't need everybody to like me, and I would prefer that not everybody like me. Mm. Because there are some people that don't want to like me. (laughs) People who value things I don't value or value things that I find reprehensible. I don't want them to like me. True. I want them to understand that I have power to make them uncomfortable. I also really love that, like, you don't... I feel like a lot of people become people pleasers for many reasons, but ultimately it's, like, not feeling safe mm-hmm. um, disappointing people or not being enough or something like that. Or Oh, yeah. Yeah, needing all of that value from other people. Right. And you don't need that. No. I mean, I, I pretty radically disappointed people pretty early, and it's fine. So. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's so <laughs> true. Sometimes, like, recently when I've disappointed my mother, it's, like, one of those things that reminds me, oh, yeah, I disappointed my mother. That's the thing I'm always afraid of. Mm-hmm. And, like, oh, here I did it. In real life, still alive. Still ticking. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some, like, pitfalls in confidence that you see other people make that you want to see? Uh, like, if you were offering, like, femme advice to a younger person who was tripping up in their confidence, what would you tell them? Um, I think a lot of that depends on the person too. Cause one of the things that I see people get tripped up a lot of about is their weight mm. and like they find it so easy to find so many other people willing to commiserate about weight that I think you can get trapped in like an echo chamber of other people telling you that it's okay to criticize yourself for it. Mm. Because they're criticizing themselves for it. And so they're going to make it safe for you to do the same thing. And I, I find that particularly uh, inescapable pattern, like in corporate office environments, where there's always like a weight loss challenge happening or a diet fad that everybody's talking about. Like everybody in my office right now is on keto, okay. you know, and like two guys from the IT department have lost like 300 pounds total or something between the two of them, and everybody's fascinated and. You know, it's all the water cooler talk around it. And, like, it is a daily, like, active, conscious effort on my part to be like, I do not care about your diet. <laughs> to somebody I work with. And and to say things, like, in a corporate environment with the body uh, privilege that I have... To be like, no, I want a giant cheeseburger. I don't care about how many calories it is. I'm going to eat this whole thing, and that's what I want today. And I 
I'm not going to talk about having a diet tomorrow, and I'm not going to talk about how terrible this makes me look, and I'm not going to ask you if I look fat afterwards. Like, no. And I don't want to hear anybody else do that to themselves either, and I, and I don't, I don't want to sit near it. How do you interrupt it? Um, I don't want to hear about your diet. That's a great one. Yeah. There's a great t-shirt that says IDGAF about your diet. Season. Yeah. I don't want to hear about your diet. And one of the things, and then somebody else will go, well, it's not really a diet, and, you know, it's, like, a new way of eating. It's, like, blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, I'm also just, like, I feel like whatever weight loss journey you're on is none of my business. That's great. That's an easy thing to say to get people to not talk to you about that stuff. Yeah. I love to say things. I mean, I guess it's different because I'm fat, but, like, you know. I'll yeah, it's saying be. stuff that it, like all bodies are good bodies. I think yeah. I think you're doing great no matter what you're doing. I accept you whatever size your body is, yeah. and like really putting it like reflecting to them that they're seeking validation. Well, even this weekend we had somebody who was like, "Oh, I'm gonna get so fat and blah blah,", blah. and I was like, "I'm not here for any kind of judgments about food." Oh wow! You know what? I barely he- heard that because I think I was zoning out when that person yeah. said that, but I liked what you said mm-hmm. about no judgments about food. Yeah. I was like, I think. When you're at a, a getaway and everyone's eating, don't talk about food shame in no. any way. Like, it's it's a, a bummer. It's, like, never appropriate, like, except when you're around people who are safe for food shaming, which I try to very much limit because that's not safe for me. Right. So I try to, like, limit who, who's around me who will food shame. But yeah. certainly, like, I think if you're going away for the weekend with people, don't just, do that. just be, don't, don't be that guy. Right. Yeah, there's yeah, go find your your safe for food shaming people. Leave the rest of us alone. There's plenty of places to go do that. I so many places. Me. A lot of which you can pay for. Yeah. They'll let you pay them mm-hmm. uh, to go and talk about all the food things you need to talk about. I also am very adamant about marking all diet and weight loss ads as irrelevant on Facebook. Oh, it's it works. It's worked it so work. well for me. Mm-hmm. I ha- I get like a lot of movement ads because, you know, I'm an right. aerobics instructor. Yeah. So as soon as I got certified then it was all those ads. Okay. But I don't get specific weight loss ads. I get ads about movement that, that promise weight loss, but I don't get weight loss ads because mm-hmm. I've reported them as offensive so for so very long. Mm-hmm. That's like, you know. Basics. Yeah, it's not a small amount of work, but it's worth it. Yeah. Um, your confidence is hard won, I think, most people's. Mm-hmm. Yours is, is inherent. Yeah. But, you know, hearing people's uh, sort of stuff about their body. But I also think that that's something that to some extent you can just decide. Yeah, it's true. You can decide to be confident. Just you decide that. You make it. Like, yeah. Work for me. Or just decide that anytime you're not feeling it, that that's the thing that's temporary. Hmm. That the confidence is constant. The not feeling it is temporary. You know what? That's actually true. That is, that is a mindset that I have, but mm-hmm. I've never articulated it that way. It's mm-hmm. like most of the time I just, uh, whatever's happening, if the thought is happening or if I'm not feeling good, and I'm noticing it's perpetuating, then I know something's off about my self-care. Right. Because I know that the, the, my resting default is confident, and that my best work comes when I'm confident, and I think my work is important in the world, and I want to keep doing it. So what do I need to do to be in that spot? And when I have too many days where I'm not feeling confident, I know something's very off with my mental health, right. usually, uh-huh. which means my self-care. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's actually a great point. Yeah. Um, I'm going to sign us off here. 
so I didn't eat this. So you can really just get into that sandwich. Yeah. Um, I love you so much. Thanks for being uh, a 17-year constant in my life. Look at all the things we've done. True. 17 years. 17 years. It's beautiful. I look forward to the next 17 years. Hell yeah. Oh, the places we'll go. Yeah. Oh, it might be dinosaur, you guys. And Well, it's definitely going to be dinosaur at least a little bit. At least some point. Mm -hmm. We have to go once. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye. Follow Rachel, Polly Coach Rachel. Show notes, whatever. I'll get the Polly Pockets link on there. There you go. Show yeah. notes. Great, great. Mm-hmm. So this is Bevan from the future signing us off. Uh, sorry for the shift in audio quality. I had a friend from after I released my last episode text me and offer <laughs> that once I had the Patreon at a level that uh, she is ready, willing, and able to uh, be part of fixing my audio levels so I'm grateful to know that you know as we get more support for the podcast that it will only get better and better because as I said in episode one start where you are uh or start before you're ready uh and uh anyway I just want you to know wherever you are that you are worthy of love exactly as you are if you are if you have a dream that's on your heart you are meant to bring it to fruition and uh the the work is yours to just get one percent better every day and uh, it will unfold for you. And also, just like big love to Rachel. Thanks for being in my life. Thanks for just supporting me through um, all the breakups. Every every freaking breakup <laughs> that you supported me through, I'm so grateful for you. Um, and just grateful to have you in my life. And grateful to get to share Rachel with you, my beloved audience of Kindred Spirits. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sharing this podcast if you feel so moved. Thank you for supporting Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash F-K-D-P. And I am going to put up show notes at queerfatfam.com and hopefully can get my own little uh, website going for the podcast someday. But, you know, we start before we're ready here uh, at Bevan's Party. So you can follow me on Instagram at Bevan's Party. Uh, You can also follow Fat Kid Dance Party at Fat Kid Dance Party. And uh, you can buy workout videos uh, from the links in those profiles. And you can... Just be out there and be kind, be a great human being, uh, and know that everything you do um, does have a ripple effect. And uh, you just working on your self-love even a little bit has a ripple effect that you don't even know is moving forward in the world. Love you so much, and we're going to play out a track that will hopefully inspire your next mating dance.
Kiss me, darling. 